You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, hey, how's it? You guys doing all right this morning? All right. Hey, thanks for uh, being flexible. I know those of you who are claustrophobic are probably freaking out a little right now. Like, ah, oh, it's so... But to the glory of God, deal with it. A couple more weeks, we're going to two services. So we are so excited that every single one of you are here this morning. My name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, here at Shorebreak. And we have other pastors, other godly men who don't... I'm not the only guy. There are other people who love and serve this church. Uh, thankful for all the volunteers. Could you guys put your hands together for all those who volunteer? From the cakey to sanding outside, and you can probably see all the construction taking place, right? Kind of, kind of things are t- starting to take shape. I've heard a bunch of crazy ideas of what's happening with the, uh, with the construction. Um, we have another exciting announcement to make, though. I know we're just keep throwing more exciting announcements. I promise this is the last one for a little bit, a couple weeks. We, um, I've been praying and seeking God and asking God, what would you have us to do with this space? God has blessed us with an incredible space as a church. I can't believe where we are at. We're only a year and three months into, uh, this is a church plant. A year and three months into it, we're already going to two services. And if that's not enough, we just decided we're gonna start a coffee shop in the middle of all this. So it's gonna be called the Kona Coffee Lounge. The Coffee Lounge. We are super excited about that. Beginning, that's right, December. And so it's going to be open up in here. It's gonna, it is what it says. It's a coffee lounge. It's a place where you can hang out on your lunch break, talk story, uh, set up business meetings, just hang out here. And we love coffee. Um, and I know some of you, we had a little backlash when we pulled the coffee from some of you guys. Like, where's my free coffee? Well, God has bigger plans for you. Like, and I just say that. All things work together for the good, for those who love caffeine. And that's blasphemy. Oh, my Lord, forgive me. That's bad. Let's cut that out of the podcast. All right, Eric? Where's Eric? Cut that out. We're getting rowdy already. This is good because it's, it's not going to be rowdy here in a little bit as we're um, going to be talking about that. So we're, you guys were excited. And so you could be praying for us. Um, our construction guys are slamming busy. It's all volunteer labor. Uh, most of what you see is lo- half of the work in there. I mean, all of it's been done virtually free. Um, a lot of the supply, the lumber supply or pallets, we just like talked to Ace Hardware and they hooked us up. And so a lot of what you see is free or really cheap. So um, to the glory of God, we want to see um, people coming in here. And, and here's the cool thing is, yes, it's coffee. Yes, we love coffee. But at the end, it's Jesus. When people come in and they're one step closer to stepping into this theater on a Sunday morning, they're already coming into the building. They're already being exposed to our baristas who are going to be part of the church. And so um, it's just cool to think that this could be a bridge for us. And what's one of the love languages of Kona? Coffee is. So we figured what better way to contextualize with caffeine. And so it's pretty exciting. And as Eric said in the announcements, for those of you guys, um, who, you know, if you're visiting or if you're here for a short time, like if you're one of the students, we just want you to come and be blessed and attend. But if you live in Kona and this is your church, um, this is your home, we want you to, to sign up and get involved. There's tons of areas to do so. If you have a Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. 
What born again Christians believe is very different and is very contrasted to what the rest of this world believes, what culture believes. Especially when it comes to manhood and womanhood. When it comes to work, when it comes to the way we do life, when it comes to sexual purity, when it comes to salvation, what the world believes is very different than what you and I believe as Christians. And what we're trying to do by the grace of God as we are going through Titus and we are studying through the book of Titus, because that's what we do if you're new here at Shorebreak, we just study through books of the Bible is we know that the Bible, Scripture, this letter from Paul written to Titus is a weapon. It is a sword that is used to wage warfare against the lies of Satan and against the lies of this culture. And as we're going through Titus, what we are trying to do is fight against the cultural press against the church. We want to be salt and light. We want to be strong. We want to defend the truth and fight for what is real. And what we know is real is what we read in this book. And we are an endeavor in Titus to fight against the lies of Satan and in culture to unpack and discover the church Jesus wants. Because listen, many of you, I know, especially with the history in here in Kona, many of you have been burned and hurt by the church. Many of you. Many of you have never been to church and this is your first taste of church. Others of you have been to church for years, but you actually don't even know what the church is supposed to do and how the church is supposed to function. And as we endeavor and throw back in the church that Jesus wants, what, we are, what a topic today that we are going to be looking at is throwback womanhood. Now, I'm not a woman. Um, if I was, I'd be an ugly one. And, and so um, I'm not about to say I am an expert on this topic. This is one of the most difficult things that I have taught. And, it's, and I've had my wife to help. I mean, so does, what are girls kind of, what, what are the things? What are, the, what are girl things girls struggles with? I, I, guys, amen, right? All the dudes in the house are like, yes, amen. And then she, you think you know what it is. And then she's like, no, you're totally wrong. What are you talking about? Like, get, get it right. And this I do know. No, the dress does not make you look fat. I know that. <laughs> right, men? And yes, we've noticed the pedicure, and yes, we've noticed your nails have been done. But other than that, we're at a loss. But thankfully, we have the Word of God. Amen? And this book, this Word of God, is more relevant than the smartest psychologists and more transforming than curves. I mean this, God uses to change women's lives. And we're not here today just to simply talk about womanhood though we will, but we're here to talk about the gospel. Because like men, we cannot have a church centered on men and a church centered on women. We need a church that is gospel-centered, gospel-focused. And by God's grace in the future, when we do start a women's ministry, you know what it's going to be centered on? The gospel. Because everything we do should be built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And that is why God is doing what he is doing even in our midst, even as you are sitting there crammed in like a sardine with claustrophobia right now. It's because Christ is our cornerstone. 
And that doesn't mean that just because the church is growing, crisis or cornerstone. There are churches that are, do have crisis or cornerstone and they're being persecuted. They're going through hard times. So we are going to be looking at biblical womanhood. You guys, the word of God is alive. It is real. Paul told Timothy, it is literally God-breathed. And so, yes, this may have been penned 2,000 years ago, but it couldn't be more real and practical today. It changes us. And the good thing about studying through Titus is we are getting to the core of how God wants his church, and specifically speaking this Sunday, biblical womanhood. Now, men, a discretion before we go any further... Like we talked about last week, women, don't use this as ammunition against the men. Men, don't use this as ammunition to get your 130-inch flat screen TV. Pastor said to submit to your husband, I want the TV. No, that is not the context of what we're talking about. We are going to be talking about some of those things, not flat screen TVs, but submission. And I can't wait to talk about that. Hopefully no one brought tomatoes in church this morning. We will be talking about landmines of controversies, but know this. I don't care. Because I care about this more than your opinion. And some of you are going to leave this church and never come back, probably, because of the things that we're going to say. But before we go any further, before you leave and walk out the doors, if that's you, I don't think it's most of you, hopefully. Church attendance next week. We care about the Bible and what the Bible says. And that means we will stand next to the word of God when it's popular and even when it's not. And today we're going to talk about some things that press against feminism. Feminism is rampant in our culture. And feminism is especially uh, here in the islands in Hawaii. We know that feminism is prevalent. And so that's what we're pressing up against. And I want to invite you that you would lay aside your opinions and let the Bible shape how you are to think and how we are to think biblically. Because the Bible is the authoritative word of God. And because it is the very words of God, it carries power and truth behind them. So preaching is not about sharing opinions, but preaching is about excavating what God has said in the scriptures. And that's what we're doing. We're excavating, getting past culture. And too much the church has spent its time trying to be like the culture, but we are going to be set apart, a city set on a hill, shining brightly for his name's sake. And when we come across things in the Bible, when you and I read the scriptures and come across things in the Bible that we disagree with, change your mind. You're wrong. We're wrong. It's that simple. Change your mind. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. And that's why Paul told Titus, this young pastor, in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with what? Sound doctrine. Paul tells Titus, teach rightly. Because when we believe rightly, we live rightly. When we understand Jesus rightly, we worship Jesus rightly. And that is vital why we understand what the scripture says because Jesus wants us to be a church that glorifies and pleases him. And we want Shorebrook to be a church full of women who love Jesus, who are biblically 
grounded upon the gospel and the church they do, he would want so that he would be glorified and women so that your joy would be overflowing. And everything we're going to talk about is for your joy and his glory. So let us all stand for the reading of the word of God. We're going to read through uh, verses 2 through 10 for us to understand context, but we're going to be really just focusing on a couple of verses this morning. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge then younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn what? The doctrine of our God and Savior. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you in our midst. We ask that you would come. You would speak to us. And that this wouldn't be a, a time for us just to be entertained, to have a good time, to do the church thing but that we would truly be transformed, that we would truly be renewed for your glory. I pray for the women in here, God. We thank you for women. We thank you that you love women and that you took time in your word to address women. They are valuable. They are precious. And I pray that as we go through the scriptures that the men would take notes, especially the single men, to know what it means to look for a woman that the woman would understand and not hear my opinions, but hear your truth from the word of God. Jesus, would you be glorified in our midst? We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Ladies, there are many things fighting to define your womanhood. There are many things in culture that say, if you buy this, if you get this, then you are a woman, right? You go, Mary Kay products, when you go into the mall and you see, oh, can we, what, why are they trying to offer you a sample? Why are they trying to put you, because when you do this, oh, wow, you look really like a woman. You look, you look beautiful. Or when you go get a pedicure, I don't know this from experience, just saying, but when you go in to get a pedicure, from what I've heard, when you sit down, they're always trying to upsell you. You need a manicure and you need the cucumbers over your eyes. What's that called? Anyone? Facial. Okay, facial. Thank you. Facials. And you got to get the facials. And you got to get the pedicures and the manicures and the dog cures, all that stuff. And, and, and when, you, when, you, when you get that and then, oh, honey, you need to look like this. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I guess. Or even Victoria's Secret, the way that they built their stores and, and someone in my family actually worked for the store and everything is about defining womanhood. When you buy this, when you wear this, 
when you look like this, then you've arrived. Then you know what it means to be a woman. As complicated as culture has made it seem, it's actually not that complicated. You have either one of two identities. Your identity is either built upon Jesus Christ, who is King, Savior, and Lord of this universe, or your identity is built upon Eve. Eve from Genesis. You either, ladies, carry one of those two identities. You either like Eve or like Jesus. And we know in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was good. The creation was beautiful. It was wonderful. And in Genesis 1.27, we are told that God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him. Man and woman, he created. So now it's not just men who bear the image of God and who are designed to give God glory, but it is women who equally are designed and created and fashioned in the image of God to give him glory. And women are equal in value as men as God's reflective image bearers. And to bear the image of something is pretty special, is it not? Would we agree to bear the image of something is pretty special? Uh, Halloween was just this last Thursday. I mean, there's a lot of image bearing going on. Am I right? Now, whether you agree with Halloween or not, you can judge me. My kids like candy, so they will do whatever it takes to get candy because we don't buy them candy. So we're not here to have a discussion. Is Halloween your kids worship Satan? No, they don't. They like candy. Maybe they worship candy. I can deal with that. I'm the dad. But um, we celebrated Halloween. And when I mean celebrate, I mean we dress them up for 45 minutes, take them out trick-or-treating, and then we're done. And so it's funny, though, because having the perspective as a parent and watching all the other kids in our neighborhood, in our neighborhood is crazy. I was like, I'd never seen so many people. It's interesting, because what's so special about fabric for my kids? What's so special about fabric? I mean, there were, uh, one was Batman, one was Transformer, and the other was a dinosaur. So like cruising, going around, right? And then their friends come up and they're like, oh, look, you're Batman. And they're like, yeah, I am Batman. Huh, I'm a dinosaur. Yeah, it's amazing. And then other kids go, oh, look. And you know, their friends, are, they're saying to their friends, oh, look, you're Captain America. And, and then your strangers are walking by and oh, look, there's another Batman. Yeah, Batman Powell. It's like, what, what's so special about all that? Is it really the candy? Is it really the fabric? No, no, no. It's much, much more than that. They are bearing the image of their hero. That's what makes it so special. Women, you were created in the image of likeness of God and you bear the image of God and that is anything but worthless. You were special. You were his prized possession and he loves you. And culture will Photoshop images to say, this is what you need to look like. And if you're not there, then, then you're not a real woman. And you need to dress like this and you need to act like this. And let me just tell you, that's not true at all. You were made in the image of God and none of those other things define who you are. But your identity is either in Eve or it is in Jesus Christ. And that is special and precious when you are... In Jesus, because now your identity is not what you do. 
Your identity does not change whether you think you are beautiful enough. Your identity is not destroyed whether he loves you or whether he doesn't love you. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, who is the same today, who is the same forever, which means your identity is unchanging. And no matter how you feel, no matter what happens to you, no matter what you've done, your identity remains if you are a Christian in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 1, I mean, uh, Titus 1, 2. That before the foundations of the world were set, God elected you, God chose you, that you would be his sons and daughters, and he did it so that you would have hope in eternal life. It's there, Ephesians chapter 2, and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Your identity is unshakable when it's built upon Jesus Christ. And that's how it was originally for Eve. Eve wasn't always didn't always have our identity set in sin. If you remember in Genesis 1, chapter 2, Genesis Genesis 1 and chapter 2, God created everything. It was beautiful. It was amazing. Guys, there's no sin. There's no indigestion, right? There's no murder. There's no robbing. It's perfect. It's paradise. Things Creation and man are living in harmony with God, and that is good. We haven't seen that yet. We don't know what that's like. And everything is very good. Everything is perfect. And Adam and Eve are dwelling with God. You get, they're dwelling with God in paradise. That's incredible. I mean, just the fact that Adam and Eve are running around naked and unashamed, husband and wife, I mean, it's a good day. If you're married and you're running around naked, come on, married couple. It's a good day, right? It's a good day. They're running around like, who cares? We don't know. I mean, it's just like, this is amazing. And Adam and Eve are living in their God-given identities without sin, unashamed, perfect communion with God. But in Genesis chapter 3, everything is ruined pretty quickly. Like a kid who's had too much high fructose corn syrup after Halloween. It just crashed in a moment's notice. And Adam and Eve did the one thing they were not supposed to do. The one thing they could not do, that very thing they did. And God said, don't do that one thing because God is for their joy. Because God loves them. Because God cares for them. He's like, don't do that. But they sinned. And because of the fall of man, sin now infiltrated manhood and womanhood. And no longer are our identities founded in Jesus and in God and the Holy Spirit. But our identities have been shattered and marred and stained immediately because of the cause and the facts of sin. And over thousands of years, we have struggled to find our identity in Jesus Christ as men and as women. And I believe that's where many of us come today even. Even in church, maybe you're here because you're trying to find your identity or you're here to recover your identity or to continue, continuously build your identity upon Jesus. And so here in Titus, what Paul first addresses, getting back to our text now, in verse three, is he immediately says how older women are to live out their identities in Jesus. Because older women are important, just like older men bring stability, bring strength, bring generosity, bring gifts to the table. Young, some churches only focus on young people. 
And it's fine that there are young people in the church. We are demographically a bit of a younger church, but to say we need older people in the church as well. We need that. And it's clear, you see that happening. It's not just a church of young people. There are older people here in the church in Crete and Titus. In verse 3, we read that older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slave to much wine. So the first thing we read for older women to live out your identity is to be reverent in behavior. And every following truth for women is brewed from this statement, reverent in behavior. Everything we talk about that flows from this. If you are reverent in behavior, everything else will eventually work itself out. And we will talk about specifics because that's what the Bible talks about, how that looks and how that practically manifests itself in your life. But reverent means appropriate in behavior and demeanor. Reverent means that older women are to be holy and set apart. Evidence should be seen in their life, that it should be clear from the essence of who you are, that you have built your foundation upon Jesus. That these older women have their identity grounded in Christ and because their actions will flow from their identity. But when you look at the womanhood, the canvas of womanhood in Crete and today, would we all agree that it seems anything but reverent in behavior? It does, right? You don't have to look very far to see that we are far from being, that we are very far from being reverent in behavior. And usually this takes shape in a couple of ways. Some more obvious than others. In fact, some women are like, I don't care who sees me. I'm going to be irreverent behavior. I'm going to do things, post up, post stuff up on Facebook and live and party with these people and do all these things. And then I don't care about my behavior at all. One bit. They are reckless and they don't care who they pull down with them. And they know it. And I just think of the perfect example of someone who is irreverent in behavior is Miley Cyrus. If you were unfortunate to see the VMAs and her controversial performance there, I am so sorry. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it is raunchy and disgusting and absolutely irreverent in behavior. And it didn't just affect her, but affected those who watched it. And it affected those who even performed with her. I actually read this week um, an article on Hollis Jane uh, Hollis Jane is one of, the, uh, ba- one of the stage performers, one of the background performers for Miley Cyrus. Hollis Jane, who dressed elaborately in mask and costume as a backup dancer for the performance, recently revealed that she felt less than human after performing Miley's Cyrus's shaking and crying. And she was shaking and crying after the show. And I say, and I quote, I love being the center of attention, but that was something different. I was being stared at and laughed at for all the wrong reasons. She wrote on our blog, for the first time, I felt truly ashamed to be a little person, a woman. We were being used simply because we were little. The backup dancer says she'll never do something like that again. And I quote, I will never forget that performance because it forced me to draw Interesting thing she says, a personal line in the sand. Line in the sand. Hollis may have a personal line in the sand, but it's pretty clear that Miley does not. 
When it comes to her raunchy and off-putting style, the young pop star is unapologetic about her performance. She is disgracing womanhood and she is perverting what it means to be a woman and someone who supposedly was raised up in a Christian home. Tragic. So there are those women who do live in this rebellion. Maybe you don't know them, but there are women who live in outward rebellion. They don't care who knows. There is no line in the sand, no conviction, no reverent behavior, and they don't care who they pull down with them. Now, I didn't watch the performance, but the article went on to say that Miley was inviting other people in the crowd, thousands of people in the VMA, to join with her in this perverted act that she was doing. Degrading what it means to be a woman, and it is sickening. And it's the result of feminism in our culture today. Because feminism is humanism. And anytime you focus on humanism and not God, things get wicked. Things get dark. Even within our state right now, for the fighting for, for, for gay marriage and this big debate that is happening, it's humanism at its best. And it's so sad because many of these younger girls are looking up to some of these older women like Miley and like these other people. No, I don't want to be like that. No, you don't want to be like, that's not womanhood. And that is why Paul says, that's not womanhood, verse three. The older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior. They're not living like desperate housewives, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. The greatest example, or the greatest teacher rather, is Example. Women, the best thing you could do is to build your life upon Jesus. And as you build your life upon Jesus, the younger woman will look up to your life and say, that is a life. That is the type of wife I want to be. That is the type of friend I want to be. That is the type of person I want to be. Set the example for the younger women. Now at that time on the big island of Crete, it's important to understand the context here, Women lived much longer than men at that time because of war, because of famine, because of um, just some of the work that they did. And there were many, many, many widows at that time. And some of these women, understanding the context and the culture, I believe probably after losing their husbands, mourning and grieving over the loss of their husband would sedate their pain by going bar hopping. What else are we going to do? We hurt. And understandably so. We're not saying that women can't hurt when they go through a hard time. But what did they do to sedate their pain and their hurt? They went bar hopping. They got drunk to numb the pain. That's why Paul says that when these women, if you notice here in verse 3, that um, they were to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine, which means that they should not be going around gossiping or getting drunk. They should not be given to much wine. That doesn't mean a woman couldn't have a glass of wine if that's their conviction. For some, they can't, and that's fine. He's not saying that. He's saying that they should not be getting drunk. And today, we don't have widows like we do today, usually as much. Um, today, you could, you know, I'm not saying it's the, it's, it's the exact same, but really uh, what you have is like a divorce that takes place. Or you have a breakup that takes place. And what happens is a lot of these women will get together. You know what, girlfriends? Let's get all the girlfriends together. Let's go head out to the bar. Let's get smashed drunk and head on 18-year-old boys. And that happens. 
I used to work in food and beverage, and I was just six, seven months ago when I was waiting at a table, I got hit on by a, a few drunk ladies, and it was weird, very weird, because they're not reverent in behavior, and you think just because they would be older, they would be more mature, but that's not the case at all. Not if they are not, have not built their life on Jesus. And note this word, not only if they're not getting drunk and going around and sedating their pain with alcohol, but that word for slanderous that is used here is the same Greek word used to translate devil. So read this again. Older women are to be, or likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not devils, not slanderers. He uses this word here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because devil means, what does he do? He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of the brethren. There are women who are professional slanderers, professional gossipers, and Christians are the worst at it. I'm sorry, but we are. You know why? Because they'll say, oh, hey, you know, I heard this thing going on. Oh my gosh, I'm not going to say too much, but what I tell you, you need to keep it between you and me. Let's pray, just pray for them, right? Gossip. It's gossip. Don't do the work of the devil. He is a slanderer. He is a gossiper. The devil goes around um, dividing and lying and diverting people away from the truth. And that is the work of a gossiper. And that is why Paul says, older women, don't be doing the work of Satan. Wow, Paul. Thank you so much. Maybe some of you are like, I'm hoping to come to church to be a little bit encouraged. Not the right message for that entirely. Gossiping is the work of Satan. And I believe that is exactly what personally Paul is saying here that they are, because they are spreading untrue things or they are spreading true things that are unhelpful. Hear me out. They are either spreading untrue things or true things that are not helpful. And Proverbs twenty nineteen says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with such a simple babbler. You stay away from them. Because gossipers would rather complain than fix. They are good at pointing out problems in other people and other ministries and other things and other businesses, but they don't even see the plank that is in their own eye. Gossiping destroys the unity of the Holy Spirit, and Satan uses gossiping. And it's a sin. It is the secret sin of the church that we cover up that we make it look pretty in the name of prayer and Christianity. And women especially have a propensity to gossip and slander. They do. You might be thinking, well, I'm not kind of a gossiper. I'm not sure. Here, quick, quick little test from personal experience because I've gossiped and I've had to go up to people and personally apologize face to face with them. Because none of us are immune to any of this. But you know you're a gossiper if you enjoy other people's business. If you enjoy and if you are consumed by the business of others, you're a gossiper. If you enjoy being negative and overall in your conversations and not helpful when you talk to people, you're a gossiper. 
If you take pride in information that is disclosed to you and you just can't wait to share that with just one person, but that person's going to stop there and you know you're going to tell them not to say anything. If you take pride in information that is shared to you, then you're a gossiper because you just can't wait to share that. If you enjoy bringing other people down and making other people look bad to bring you up, you are a gossiper. Repent from gossiping. That's how our minds changed. Gossip damages redemption. In redemption, in the gospel, what we have is someone who's forgiven by Jesus, loved by Jesus, covered by the blood of Jesus, and their, their sin is now as white as snow. And then what does the gossiper come along and do? Does the work of Satan. Did you know the sin? Did you know what they did? You know this and this and this? Shut up! Shut up! We don't have time for this. Because Satan will use gossiping to divide the church, to hurt families. There are church splits that have happened because people cannot shut their mouth. And they will do it. And churches, and I've been a part of it, where I've seen someone leave on a bad note and they leave and they begin to start a church with bad DNA and then they pull other people with them. And then really all you have is a gathering of just bitter people. And it's tragic. It's so tragic. But when the church is unified by the gospel and the redemption of the blood that is found in Jesus Christ and we do not put up with gossiping and we fight for redemption and we fight for the truth and we fight for one another instead of stabbing one another in the back, we will be unified. We will be stronger than ever before and we will see more people come to Christ because the Spirit brings unity. And gossip destroys the unity that has been brought by the Holy Spirit. And in the end, we'll be more effective in reaching the lost. Now, I have to say this, though. If you have a problem with someone, that doesn't mean you don't talk to them about it. Read Matthew 18. We don't have time to get there, but read Matthew 18 at another time. And when you get to Matthew 18, you will see that, wow, if someone has offended you, have sinned against you, you go directly to them. You talk with them about it. And if that doesn't work out, then at that point, you're going to pull someone else alongside who's been part of, whether they were there in the social setting or somehow they knew about it. And then you bring along another brother for the sake of redeeming that person, not tearing them down, but for building them up. And then if that doesn't work, then you bring it to the pastoral attention of the church and then it will be dealt with. And if they are unrepentant, then church discipline takes place. But Paul says, instead, a woman should worship Jesus and she should take the hardships of her life to him she should not turn to gossip or drunkenness for the hardships that have fallen upon her because women are to be reverent in behavior now some women are more obvious than others in rebellious behavior but there are also those women who have good intentions. They have good intentions. But in their good intentions and in desiring to be like God, their intentions mislead them. And they end up misrepresenting God. And they end up slandering God. And women, there is nothing wrong with desiring to be godly. We want you to be godly. But I have to say this. You must, women, understand your propensity to drift away from the truth. You must understand your propensity that just because it looks godly does not mean it's okay. Just because it's got the label, just because it's sold in the Christian bookstore doesn't mean that it's okay. If you want, like right now, let's everyone turn to Genesis chapter three. 
I want you guys to see this. I just want to tell you, because I know some of you are like, that's not true, Pastor. That's not true. Yes, it is. Genesis chapter 3. We are students of the Word of God. And as you're turning there, in Eden, Adam and Eve are living in paradise like we've talked about earlier. And Eve is having a conversation with the serpent. Why is she having a conversation with the serpent? Where's her husband? Right next to her. What is he doing? Nothing, right? Amen. Look at the bird. I named that bird Sparrow. It's so awesome, idiot. Adam's an idiot. Now, all of us men, are, if we've been regenerated, we were once idiot Adams too. What? The serpent is talking to your wife, bro. Wake up, right? Did God really say that, Eve? Did, did God really say that? Are you sure that's what he said? What does he say to her? Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. The serpent talking. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's the appeal to Eve? To be like God. The serpent cunningly knows, he's the most cunning beast of all the earth, knows that he can appeal and pull and deceive Eve away through apparent godliness. That is where it takes, that's what's happening here. Eve, you're going to be like God, but what happens in verse 6? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Do you see this here? She's desiring a spiritual thing. She took of its fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was standing right there. If you weren't here last week, men, listen to last week's message. And he ate. Genesis 3 will go on to later say, and we, Paul elaborates it in 1 Timothy 2. He reveals that Adam sinned. Now Eve, yes, she did sin, but it was Adam who sinned, and Eve was what? Deceived. Eve, you're made in the image and the likeness of God. Why would you desire anything more to be like God when you have a perfect relationship with him? But what Eve did was she was deceived and pulled apart. And women, the same thing can happen to you. And what you can begin to do is substitute something between your relationship with God, thinking that that substitution will make you more godly. But in the end, it destroys you. Nothing can substitute your relationship with God or make you more godly. Ladies, please do not add a substitute to improve your relationship with God. Eve had a direct relationship with God. What more could she possibly need to be like God? She's already his image bearer. But that's where Satan comes in. You need to be like God. God is enough, church. 
Jesus is enough. And in the end, Jesus is all you need to grow in Christianity. And listen, no book, no sermon, no Beth Moore thing, and no this pastor thing will help you grow into the person that God has called you to be, like being rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And please do not substitute anything, whether it be an experience, whether it be a book, whether it be goosebumps. Please do not fall into the danger of deception. And men, rise up to the occasion and be there to stand up for the truth. Protect your wives. Now hear me out. In the end, like I said, no Bible study or book will cause you to be the woman that God has called you to be. It is in Jesus Christ alone through the power of the Holy Spirit and you submitting your will to the Father is when you, true transformation will take place. Now, hear me out. Books can help. Your girlfriends can help. Your husband can help. But it is Christ alone who can truly save you and help you because Jesus wants you to be fully dependent upon him and him alone. Jesus wants you to be the full object for him to be the full object of affection and worship in your life and sometimes women will think well if we just had this type of ministry and we just arrived that if you just hung out with this girl enough then I'm arrived at womanhood then I'm really closer to Jesus no no Jesus is enough Jesus is enough you have one of two identities your identity is in either in Jesus Christ or your identity is in Eve. And hear me out, women, some of your identity right now is placed in Eve. Or you have tendencies, I'm not saying you've lost your salvation, you can't, but you have tendencies where you are going back to and deception going back to your identity in Eve. And when you do, isn't that hopeless? It's meaningless. Your soul cries vanity because you realize you keep drinking from the water and the well and you're just thirsty again and you are not satisfied. You're like, I'm done with this. I'm tired of it. But women, when your identity is built and founded upon in Jesus Christ, you are, you have joy overflowing. You have purpose. Your life has meaning. In Jesus, everything you long for is found in him. And women, you can come to him. And whether you are exhausted from your kids, whether you're tired from the relationship cycle that you've gone through, whether you feel like, I just can't go on any longer. No, no, no. Listen, hear me out. Hear me out. You come to him. And all you who are weary, you come to him and he will give you rest. He will. You can find rest in Jesus. God has fashioned you to do great things for his glory. And please, women, don't waste your energy and your time on anything else that would pull you away, including Christian things that maybe look good on the cover or spiritual things that are actually there to deceive you and pull you away rather than draw draw you close to Jesus. Verse four. Read there to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So first thing we read here in verse four is that Paul is beckoning the church and Crete, the people on the big island of Crete, women be self-controlled. 
It's not just a man thing, it's a woman thing. And so right now, women, what things is the Holy Spirit bringing to the surface where you do not have self-control? Are your emotions in self-control? Have you submitted your emotional state to the Holy Spirit or are you just letting your emotions drive you everywhere, causing you to make decisions that, that man, you regret you make? Not man, woman. Did you regret you make? Jealousy. Do you have your jealousy under control? Have you crucified that part of your life? Or when you see the Instagram post that you didn't get invited to, or you heard from the Coconut Wireless that someone, there was a party that you weren't invited to, or something happened and you didn't get invited to that, and you're, you're bent out of shape, and man, you're jealous. Your jealousy is raging. You're like, <laughs> have self control. the way you, your tongue going back to gossip you have that under control your tongue is the rudder of your ship James tells us you can ignite a fire with it be careful have your tongue under control eating girls and I'm talking about both sides of eating some of you women are don't have control and self-control in eating you're eating way too much and, and after the breakup or, or when you're angry at your husband you just go and you just Ice cream, here we go. Let's do this. Me and you, Ben and Jerry's. There are other of you women in here. You don't eat. Or you do eat and you shove your fingers down your throat. Self-control. Submit your will to the Spirit of God. It goes on both sides. Please, please, please give every area to your life to Jesus and he will sanctify you. How about your thoughts? Are you dwelling on what is wicked and sinful and difficult and hard? Or are you dwelling on, like Philippians 4, 8 says, that you, whatever's pure, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's just, think on these things. And that's a paraphrase and you can look at that later. So not only does Paul say that women are to be self-controlled through the power of the Holy Spirit, but what does he say right after that in verse four? That women are to be pure. Pure. That word for pure in the Greek means pure from carnality. It means sacred. It means modesty. Women should not dress in such a way that it takes attention off God and draws attention to themselves, to their clothes, or to their own bodies. She should dress modestly. Paul elaborates this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that she should not be flaunting the most expensive clothes that she has. And listen, it's not saying you can't have nice clothes. It's not saying if God's given you money and you walk around with some nice stuff, God, that's not what it's saying. But if you're walking around and, and you're, you know, you're, you're flaunting these things and the way that you, you dress is exposing some of these things. Maybe you've never heard this before. Great, I'm glad that you're here if you've never heard this before. This is what you need to hear. I'm saying this because I love you. Dress modestly. And not only does 1 Timothy 2 say not that we should be you know, wearing expensive f- fashion and, and be pulling the attention off God's glory. But I would also add to that showing and revealing your body. It might not be revealing the expensive clothes that you're wearing, but it might be revealing your body parts. 
Provocative clothing women attracts perverted eyes. Man, that guy just keeps checking out my junk. Cover up your junk then. Guy's giving you junk. Save it for your husband. I don't like them looking at me. Now, yes, there are perverted men out there. But if you're giving them something to look at, men are visual. They're sexual visual creatures. And if you're going to give them something to look at, they will look at you. And when you dress perverted, when you dress like a slut, you're going to attract sluts. And the Christian men in here who love Jesus and who love the word of God are going to look and say, that's not the woman I want to have. I want a woman who is pure. Christian women dress appropriately because covering up reveals your dignity. Covering up, ladies, reveals your dignity. Understand that the clothes you wear convey your character. It's not just a t-shirt. It's not just super, super, super short shorts. It's more than that. Dress modestly. So are you conveying sin in what you wear? Or are you conveying Christ? Christians should dress sensibly, being conscious of their selection of clothes because purity is close to their heart. What we read here after purity is that they are to be... Here's how we get in trouble. Verse 4. They're to love their husbands. Sorry, verse 5, not verse 4. Pure working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And this, I'm gonna, we're going to tie this right back to what we were told in verse 4, that women are to love their husbands and their children. So first, love your husbands, woman. Love the man God has given you. Don't hold bitterness towards him. Don't emotionally withdraw from him. Yes, he may deserve it probably does but you're called to love him love him God gave him to you and women don't fantasize about being married to another man God gave him to you there is no one else stop fantasizing what it'd be if I was just married to him I wonder what it'd be like to, no 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 God gave him to you if you were to interview the wife of any of those other ladies, they would tell you he needs help. Because <laughs> Genesis 2, think about that. In Genesis 2, really quick, side note, Genesis 2, everything is perfect in creation. Adam is walking with God, and it's not good that he's alone and that he needs help still. So women, love him, love him, love him. And let me just tell, tell this to you. Please, please, please don't nag at him. It's not going to work. Pray for him. Pray for him. And it will work. Tell me, it will work. My wife prays for me and she's like, she just, she doesn't say it now. She did before and it drove me crazy. I'm praying for you. (laughs) Thanks, babe. Love your children, ladies. Care for your children more than their GPA. Their soul matters most. Care for their soul more than their intellect. Yes, it's important, but their soul is what matters most. And before wrapping up, 
this statement on women, before wrapping up this sermon here in closing, Paul drops this bomb. No big deal. Hashtag no big deal, right? What does he say? Younger women are to be working at home, submissive, kind, submissive to their own husbands. No big deal, right? Call us old school and throw back yes, but when it comes to the Bible, we will side with the scriptures, even if it's not popular. And Romans chapter 12 has called us that we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we need to have our minds renewed by the word of God right now and not by culture. And here is what we read that it is God's desire for women to be working at home, to be loving their husbands and their children. And we live in a culture that says, no, 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 women, no. You go to school, you, you get that degree, you rack up that debt, even if you're married and you, you put off having kids because kids are an inconvenience. Or if you have kids, you just put them in daycare and you work on your career, you work on your job, you build up everything and take care of the real matters of life. But mom, there is nothing more important than the children God has set in front of you. And I know many working mothers, listen, and I'm not hitting on you mothers. Maybe, maybe this is a new revelation to you and, and we'll, we'll, we're not done yet. So don't, don't just begin to start throwing labels and we should hear me on this, but your children, I've never heard a mom who said, I've spent too much time with my children. I wish I went to work more. Your children is your work, is your calling, is your ministry, especially when they're younger, when they get older and they begin to go out of the house or they're at school. That's okay if you're working. We're not talking about some of those specific things, but when they're, the context is younger women with younger children, God has not called you called anyone else to raise your children except for you and your husband. And men are to lovingly lead and provide for the family. And the women is homeward taking care of the kids and taking care of the house. I know old school, right? But we call this, we didn't call this throwback church for nothing. And I know women who are working full time and they have daughters who are two and three checking their kids into childcare and they're married with Husbands, and it's killing them because they know it's built within the fabric of who they are to be at home with their younger children. Mom, it's your mission to raise your kids. But if you're a single mom, if your husband has left you, if your husband is injured, I'm not talking to you, okay? Some of you have, have to check in your kids. Some of you have certain extenuating circumstances that have forced you to be in that position. And I'm not talking to you. Keep going, moms, if you're single. We know many of you have gone through a divorce in here. Your husbands have left you. And you've gone through a very difficult time. And you've had to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, by the grace of God. You are doing the best that you can. And we're here to say, keep going, keep going. Don't quit. We love you. I'm talking about the woman who has a husband who is lazy and he's not working. And if you were that man, 
The Bible says that you are worse than an infidel. You know what that means, man? You are worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever. What judgment is coming upon you if you cannot provide for your family, men? Grow up. And ladies, we love you, okay? We do. And I'm not bipolar. I'm not bipolar, just so you know. Let's do men again. And in closing here, jeez. Wives, we read, to, to be at home, to be homeward bound, to be taking care of those things. There are certain circumstances when they get older, when they're in school. Yes, there are those things. We're not legalists here, but we follow the word of God. Just as Christ, though, is the head of the church, and men and women, you and me, we all submit to Jesus. Husbands are the head of the home, and women are to submit to their husbands. That's why Paul says that wives are to be submissive to their own wives. Husbands <laughs> are to be submissive. Not to, oh, let's try this again. Forget, erase. Erase that. Erase that. That's why wives are to be submissive to their own. You, you get, you're getting it though. You guys are just as cynical as I am now. This is awesome. You guys, this idea of submission, though, is not foreign to the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 2. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 3. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you submit unto the Lord. Again, Men and women are both made in the image and likeness of God, and they are both equal in value with different roles. But wives, submit to your husbands. And men, you also do submit to your wife at times. We mutually submit to one another. But in the end, that word submission means to place yourself under the authority of or to submit your will to. That's what submission means. And the context is marriage only. Girlfriends, you do not submit to your boyfriend. Period. If he is, he is a manipulator and you need to break up with him today. Doesn't work that way. Women, you do not submit to your coworkers in the workplace. You only submit to your husband. Now, if you have a boss and it's part of your job requirement, yes, you submit to them, but you only submit to your husbands in the end. And it is only, has to be, must be biblical submission. Even if he's a non-believer, you submit to him. So as long as he is not requiring you to do something that is against the Bible. So if he says, don't go to church, well, the Bible tells me to go to church. I'm going to church. Doesn't mean you manipulate. Doesn't mean, you, you know, you, you work on that and you, you grow in that, but that, that, that's how God has designed it and planned it. A submissive wife is a competent wife. She is a smart wife. She is a loving wife. She is an important person in the family and she is wise and she is a helper and an influencer husband because again, men need help. Why? Why in closing here? Verse 5. 
so that the word of God may not be reviled. Or some of your translations say, so the word of God may not be maligned, destroyed, affected. Submission is a gospel issue. It is not a marriage issue. Everything in life we deal with comes down to a gospel thing. And in closing here, we have to step back and understand what it means to be a Christian and to believe in God because we worship a God who is one God who eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And even within the Godhead and community from eternity past, you have Jesus who is God, who submits himself to the will of the Father, steps out of heaven. And, and John chapter one tells us that, the, that, that, that Jesus came and, and put on human skin, that the word of God became flesh and the word of God dwelt among us. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he set his sight, or as he is setting his sight on Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus Christ would be crucified, what did he pray? Lord, not, Father, not that my will be done, but, but that your will would be done. Jesus Christ, who is God, submits to the will of the Father, and the Holy Spirit equally submits to God and to Jesus. There is submission within the Godhead. And Jesus perfectly submitted And Jesus never requires us to do something he has never done himself when it comes to biblical truth. Jesus was perfectly obedient, perfectly loving, perfectly submissive, so submissive that he was willing to be punished on a cross and crucified so that God's wrath would be satisfied against sinful man and that those who are believers would have eternal life found in the blood of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, the head of the serpent all the way back to Eden is crushed. And Jesus, in Jesus, women can be fully restored to a pure, loving relationship with God once again. And not just women, but men. Submission is a gospel issue. So in closing here, I have to ask, have you submitted your will to the will of the Father? men and women. Before you can attempt to be a godly single lady, before you can attempt to be a great godly wife, before you can attempt to do all these things, don't substitute like Eve did. But find your identity in Jesus Christ. Submit your life to his lordship, to his glory, to his leadership, because Jesus is king. And when you do that, you will realize why God has brought you upon this earth. And the Holy Spirit is moving and the Holy Spirit is touching lives. And I would say, respond to the gospel in faith. Submit your life to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have to be in your word. Thank you that your word is alive. Thank you that we have waged war this morning. And that is not just a battle of flesh and blood but principalities and powers in high places. And that Satan is warring to bring as many people with him to hell. But Jesus, you are victorious and you have chosen to bring us to heaven. And this morning, there are some who have sat in here. They've heard the word of God go out. They've heard the gospel. They've heard what it means to submit and to give their will up to you. And some are being saved this morning. 
with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you sat and you've heard the word gone out, if you've heard the gospel been preached and, and you realize you've never submitted your will to Jesus and the Holy Spirit has come upon your life, he has illuminated your sin and now you are willing to submit your life to his will and you've never done that before. If that's you, raise your hand up in the air right now. Put your hand up in the air and just say, I'm submitting my life, Jesus, to you. I want to put my faith and my trust in you. If that's you this morning, I, don't, I know many of you, many of you guys I don't know, and I don't know where you're at. Raise your hand up in the air if that's you. Respond to the gospel in faith. I see your hand. God bless you. And if you're a Christian this morning, and you have wavered, and you have added something, it's Jesus plus something, so that you would attain godliness. Repent from that right now, this morning. For you who raised your hand, I want you just to pray this prayer. It's not a superstitious prayer at all. You're just gonna be responding to God in faith. So Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I submit my will to you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, would you keep me? Would you help me to walk as your adopted son? I confess my sin. I am wrong. And you are glorious. You are good. And you love me. Help me to love you. Give me the faith to believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.